SBC, welcome to our Good Friday service. We're so glad that you've chosen to tune in with us this morning. If you're a guest that's uh, joined us for the very first time today, perhaps you were invited by a loved one or a neighbor, we're really glad that you're gonna spend the morning with us. We uh, would love to get to know who you are, and so we'd like it if you could visit our guest page and introduce yourself, and someone on staff will get back to you in the week to come. We mailed out some next-gen curriculum earlier this week. Uh, we wanted to give you guys a way to make Easter fresh and meaningful in your families and so we trust that you will use that Faith at Home content to bring the Easter story to life in your homes and it'll be a great blessing to you. Today's service we've got um, Howard and Shelley Blaine coming up shortly as one of our older couples to encourage us before the service Then we've got Matt Johnson bringing God's word to us and then we're going to close out our service this morning with communion trusting that it'll be a great way for us to celebrate what Christ accomplished on the cross for us so many years ago. But before we do any of that I'm going to hand over to Rodea and she's got some encouraging news to share with us about ways that we can love in uh, during lockdown at SBC. Over to Rodea. Hello SBC family. I want to share John 13, 35 with us. By this, all people will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. And we have this opportune time during the lockdown period to love one another. I want to encourage us to check up on small group members, to check up on members that are perhaps isolated, to find out if they're doing all right or in any need, whether it's food or essentials. The SBC Pantry wants to ensure that no family in our church is without food during the lockdown period. You can help us by donating to food parcels. There's an option for food parcels for smaller families for the amount of 400 Rand or for the larger families for 700 Rand. Or perhaps you would just like to contribute to some of the groceries on the list. Please follow the Facebook Sterling Baptist Church page and you will find the list along with the banking details. We really are hoping that this will be beyond ourselves, that it will be a way to reflect the love of Christ in our community and to those beyond. Thank you. A warm welcome to all of you. We're so glad you're joining us uh, this morning. It's a good day, it's Good Friday, which is a very special day for all of us. We're glad you've joined us, and uh, as we go into the service, we hope that you'll have a good time as we fellowship remotely but together. Shelley sends warm regards and lots of love. And as we just go into the service, I'm so conscious of John 3 verse 16, it says, God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Today, Jesus gave His life over 2,000 years ago, that we may have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we think especially of those that are lonely this morning. We pray that You'll just comfort and encourage them Wherever they are, Lord Jesus, your presence is everywhere. We pray too, Lord, for those that are heavy burdened, that you'll just give them rest, that you'll encourage them, that you'll lead them and guide them in their circumstances. 
And finally, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful day, the day when Jesus died on the cross, that we may have eternal life. Our salvation is sure in him. So thank you, Lord. We pray that you'll bless this day, bless this service, bless Matt as he brings us the word, and that we'll leave encouraged and knowing that we've had an encounter with you. Thank you, Lord. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to our Good Friday service. Wonderful to still be able to meet like this. We haven't seen each other face to face for a long period of time. I'm missing you all. But um, welcome to our Good Friday service and especially welcome to those who clicked on for the first time online. Join us and uh, if you find yourself in a space where you're not quite yet sure whether you are a follower of Christ but you want to learn more about Jesus and uh, looking to becoming a Christian, I want to welcome you here today too. We hope the message today is a blessing for you and for us. So I want to kick off today with a statement, and the statement is this. One of the serious dangers to the Christian is forgetfulness. One of the serious dangers to the Christian is forgetfulness. Now, if you follow Jesus for a period of time, you know how quick you are to forget what he said to you, what he's done, who you are in him. It's a real challenge, and that's one thing I love about Scripture. It's very real. It's very honest around our, our human nature. And uh, the Apostle Peter, who was nearing the end of his life, uh, wrote in his letter to the congregations that he oversaw. He said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, which is, he says, I think it is right that as long as I'm in the body to stir you up by way of reminder. And uh, it's such a beautiful verse because um, although it's important to keep growing in your faith by learning new truth, it's just as important to keep marinating in it, ruminating over um, what you know to be true about God and what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. And so we want to stir you up by way of reminder this Easter. And so our theme is we will remember. And uh, today we're going to kick off that theme with remembering the cross. So I want to read from Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 to 23. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, if... Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. A bit of background to this wonderful letter to the Colossians that Paul wrote is, um, he's right at the church in Colossae, and he wasn't actually the guy who founded the church. The guy who did was called uh, Epaphras, and he did what Mark would preached on this last Sunday, he was not ashamed of the gospel. He went into the town of Colossae and shared the good news of Jesus Christ. And an entire church sprang up from his faithfulness to the gospel. And what a wonderful reminder for us uh, to not underestimate how God can use our simple faithfulness to share the gospel to those around us. Um, and so Paul's writing this letter. He's never actually seen these people face to face. But he does feel responsible for them because he is the apostle. He is the 
um, covering in leadership. And he's concerned for their well-being because a false teaching was starting to creep into the church at this time and it was causing division and was causing a drift away from the gospel that they'd heard at the beginning. Now, Paul says this in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23 of our text this morning. It comes through. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, to these Colossians, he says, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. They were beginning to shift from the hope of the gospel that they first heard. And so he wants to step in to help them. And, you know, as you look at the early church, it's encouraging and a reminder for us. And, you know, the early church was besieged by false teaching on, on every side. She had to fight and clarify and grow in the gospel. And how much more do we need to do the same in our lives? We have to keep the gospel central to our lives. We have to uh, ruminate over it and dwell in it and live from it, um, just like the early church had to learn to do. And so we saw two weeks ago that the threat to the Galatian church was the false teaching of legalism. The threat to the gospel in the Colossal, Colossal, Colossians to the Colossians was uh, this a false teaching of a false learning or a secret knowledge called Gnosticism. Now, I don't want to take up too much time explaining Gnosticism. You're welcome to read more about it in your spare time. But Gnosticism basically was a mixture of very harsh regulations towards the body, which had some Jewish elements to it, and um, also Greek philosophical teaching, which had a mystical element to it. And basically, uh, the Gnostics taught a very sharp distinction, which came from Greek philosophy, that whatever was matter or physical, it was evil. Uh, but whatever was spirit was good. And so Paul can recognize that uh, these Gnostics were uh, becoming a threat to the gospel. They were teaching that by doing certain harsh um, uh, practices to the body, you suppressed your evil body that was matter, that was physical, and by studying and intellectual philosophizing and, and study of, of texts, uh, you could achieve enlightenment. By doing these two things, you could achieve salvation. But Paul could see that this was a real threat because the Gnostics attacked the very tenets of the gospel. The Gnostics could not cope with the fact that the Son of God, um, this God who was spirit, would ever come down into evil, wicked flesh and become a man. They denied the incarnation. They also denied that he ever lived in a body and uh, that he ever died a physical death on the cross and that definitely he never, ever had a bodily resurrection. Uh, they denied all these things, and Paul knew it was a real danger to the Colossians falling away from the true gospel. And so he writes this letter, and uh, it leads to one of the greatest uh, letters in the New Testament about the glory and centrality and preeminence of Christ. It really is a magnificent letter, and um, you know, it defends the centrality of Jesus to our salvation and faith. You see, what these Gnostics were doing is they were saying, you know, if you just do these things and you know these things, then you'll be saved. I'll say it again. If you just do these things and you know these things, you'll be saved. Doesn't it sound familiar? You see, what actually happened was they pushed Jesus to the side. And Jesus was just a teacher that was merely uh, someone who was enlightened and a model of enlightenment. He was not central. Their need was not central for Jesus. And I want to ask you a question today. I want to ask you, how much do you need Jesus in your life? In other words, can you get on without him pretty well? And I want to say to you, 
today, there can be two reasons for you not really needing Jesus in your life. The first is that you're not yet uh, a Christian, and we're hoping that that's going to change by the end of today. But the second is, this, is that you've drifted away from keeping Jesus central to your faith, and you've substituted him with something that you do and something that you just know. And so Paul wants to contend for the true gospel, and we're going to start today by unpacking a part of that by remembering the cross. And so I'm going to try and move quite quickly through um, a few points today. And my first point uh, I want to uh, discuss is this first point of salvation being a gigantic work of God. I'll say it again, that salvation is a gigantic work of God. I think we're at risk often to reduce salvation to the sinner's prayer. Um, and don't get me wrong, um, the sinner's prayer uh, mingled with faith is effective for salvation, but it's certainly not the full extent of salvation. To enable that uh, uh, gospel to happen, that prayer of faith, took massive amounts of work on God's side. And uh, I want to re-emphasize again today that salvation is all of God. It's all a work of God. He did everything to enable salvation. And it comes through in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14, where Paul writes, he says, giving thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. He's done it all. It's all the work of God that has enabled the salvation. And one of the ways you know you are a Christian is that you are overwhelmed by what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. You just, your heart just explodes when you see what God the Father has done for you in Christ Jesus. That's how you know that you have come to faith, is you can see that. Now, my second point today is that salvation is a massive work because it has to deal with a massive problem. Say it again, salvation is a massive work because it has to deal with a massive problem. Now, I want to focus in today on Paul's use of the word reconcile in 1 Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. It says here that, I'll read from verse 19, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, that word reconcile is powerful because reconciliation means that um, there has been a breakdown between two parties, is conflict between two parties, and reconciliation is seeking to bring peace, to restore peace between the two of them. And this, this reconciliation work that, that God had to undertake was a massive work because the problem was double-sided for God. The first was there was the problem on our side, and the second was the problem on God's side. Both, there were, there were problems on both sides, which had to be reconciled in order to make peace possible. And so my third point today is, what was the problem on our side that God had to deal with in order to be able to reconcile us to himself? Well, put in a nutshell, the problem is the greatness of our sin 
against God. It's huge. It's massive. And, and my definition of sin, according to Scripture, is anything that does not align with the perfect character, commands, and conduct of God. That's the definition of sin. It's anything that does not align with the perfect character, command, and conduct of God. Now, just think about that for the moment and apply it to your life. Think about the last few days, what you have allowed to come out of your mouth, the attitudes in your heart, the thoughts that you've entertained, what you've done with your body. Think about if you had applied a definition of sin to your actions and motives and thoughts. I'm sure, like me, you would begin to see that just in the last week, how great our sins against God. Multiply that by your entire life. Friends, our sin is enormous, gigantic. Uh, in terms of um, the, 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 the amount of sin we have committed against God. Now, remembering the cross this year over Easter is a reminder of how serious sin is to God. Now, one of the great troubles, I think, that um, is affecting the church and the world today is that we have really lost um, the seriousness of sin to God. You know, we tend to see sin as uh, something that you can play with, that you can taunt and tease and touch, something that's easily overlooked and dealt with. But for God, sin is so serious that it caused the crucifixion of his son. That's way different to how we see sin. Sin was so serious to God that God the Father sent his beloved son to be crucified on a cross. And Jesus came, and this is important for us to remember, he didn't come as an emotional savior. He didn't come as a savior that was there to try and make us feel good about ourselves or not feel any feelings of discomfort in this world. He didn't come as a circumstantial savior. He didn't come to uh, improve our lot in life or prevent any hardship or suffering. He came as a spiritual savior. And John the Baptist announced this amazing son of God as he started to enter into his public ministry. John the Baptist announced Jesus by saying, Behold the Lamb that comes to take away the sin of the world. So today, my friend, your greatest need is not your material state or emotional state before God. What the most important thing in your life is, is what is your state or relationship with the God of heaven? On what terms are you with God? The God of the Bible is primarily concerned with your relationship with him. And Jesus summarized it so well. He said this, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but to lose his soul? For God, the priority was, what is our state before him? Everything else is secondary to that. And lastly, under this point of looking at what the problem is on our side, it is this, is the consequences of sin. Not just the magnitude of our sin, but the consequences of our sin. And I want to remind you today that sin has not placed us in a neutral place with God. You see, I think one of the false notions that we have is that we're basically neutral before God and we can sort of step into goodness and he's happy with us or we can step into disobedience and he's upset with us. In other words, we think God works with us like this is when we're good, God's nice to us. When we're bad, God ignores us. But essentially, we're neutral. We can move in between either part, either side. That's not the case. What sin has done 
is what Paul mentions in one in Colossians 1 uh, verse 13 where he says, we are in the domain of darkness. That means far from us being free to choose what we want to do and be neutral in our relationship with God, in actual fact, we are in bondage. We are enslaved under uh, this this tyranny of darkness, of this kingdom of darkness ruled by Satan. And uh, this, this, this ruler, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And we are trapped. We are held in bondage. There's no way out. We can't release ourselves. The problem is massive for us because of sin. And so because we're in this kingdom of darkness and because of our sin, God can't have relationship with us. In actual fact, he treats us as a judge because his justice must judge our sin. And so we are judged as transgressors. And uh, uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And we know that famous uh, verse in Romans 6.23, that the consequences of the sin is death, eternal separation from God. And in essence, if you want to look at the cross, the cross is a symbol of death. That's how serious the consequence of sin is, and that's how big the problem is on our side. But let's switch over to the problem on God's side, my fourth point today. Sin was a massive problem for God himself. You see, 1 John 1 verse 5 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. What that means is God is totally pure, totally good, totally true, totally righteous, totally just. And so how does God try and deal with us who are in darkness if he is perfect light? And how does he do so without transgressing his perfect character? And let me explain it to you like this. How does God reconcile his perfect justice in judging sin with his perfect mercy he wants to pour out? The two are, are so difficult. They're holding such tension in, in God. How does God uphold his perfect righteousness by wanting to show his perfect grace? And so some might say, well, it's an easy problem to solve, Matt. I mean, God is love, surely. If he loves, he can just pardon our sin. That's the loving thing to do. But just think about what you're saying in holding to that. You know, what kind of love would God's love be if he denied the former things that I mentioned earlier? What kind of love is a love that does not hold to purity, that doesn't hold to goodness and justice and truth and righteousness? Any love less than these things is no love at all. It's just mere sentimentalism or um, with no real credibility or substance. That's not God's love. And so in order for God to be perfect in love, he has to be perfect to every other aspect of his character. It's a big problem for God. So my fifth point is this. What is God's solution to all of this? How does he reconcile our massive problem and his massive problem so that we can be at peace? Well, the solution is called the gospel. And uh, friends, the cross does symbolize death. That is correct. But it symbolizes the death of another. If you want to know why the cross is so precious to Christians, it's because it symbolizes the death of another person, Jesus Christ, so that we can have life in return. It's hugely precious to us. And I don't have the time to go into how Galatians 4 says at the right time, God the Father took everything, took all of his preparation. Everything was perfectly timed for Jesus to come. And he was born miraculously um, 
by a virgin and he took on human nature and flesh and he was called Emmanuel, God with us. He was both God and man. And he lived a life that perfectly aligned with the perfect character, commands and conduct of God. And this perfect spotless son of God was then offered up on a cross to be brutally killed for the punishments of sin. A perfect sacrifice to pay for sin. And friends, Jesus was not spared any leniency in terms of the justice of God. He experienced the full weight and measure of our sin laid upon him. And it comes through in three ways. The first is this, is that Jesus was utterly deserted. One of the consequences of sin is being totally cut off from human love or friendship or relationship. Sin destroys all that. And do you notice Jesus died alone on that cross, deserted? And secondly, even creation. Creation frowned upon Jesus. If you read the gospel accounts, there is Jesus, and the, 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 the light around him suddenly becomes dark. There's darkness in midday, 12 o'clock, because even creation can't stand to look at the Son of God. It has the weight of the sin of the world. It frowns upon Jesus. It doesn't even want to look at Jesus. It grows dark over Jesus. He is even being separated from creation. And then ultimately, my friend, the biggest one of all, and the most painful for Jesus was when he cried out on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was the only time on record in scripture that Jesus ever called Father God. Because at that point on the cross, he could no longer call God Father because the Father had severed, had broken, had turned away his face from the Son of God, and he did so separating himself, rejecting the Son of God as the payment and penalty and punishment of our sin on Christ. It was massive. It was cataclysmic. It was huge of what the cross actually achieved. Now, when you consider these things and how the body and blood of Jesus was offered up for our sin, it was at that moment that God was able to reconcile the big problem on our side and the big problem on his side. Because the problem on our side was the penalty of sin that we couldn't pay. And so he deals with that by pouring out his justice upon Jesus on the cross. Ah, oh, but in being able to do so, he's then able to pour out extravagant mercy on us in return. And so both sides of his nature, justice and mercy, righteousness and grace are met together in the cross and the problem is solved. There can now be peace between us and God. Wow. Now, what does that mean for all of us here today? And I want to wrap up. Why should we remember the cross today? Well, the first thing is, my friend, it's no good you knowing about these things but not responding to them. It's no good you knowing about Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and leaving it there, knowledge must turn to dependence. Faith is saying, I no longer just understand, I believe, I depend on what Jesus did on the cross is for me and it's my only hope. And a great picture of this is in the Jewish sacrificial system before Christ came, they were being trained to practice faith. And faith was expressed like this, is you would bring, you'd sin against God and you'd come to the temple and you would bring another creature, another bull, another goat, another ram, another lamb, 
whatever it might be, and you had to put your hand on that animal. You had to lean on that animal. Excuse me. And then you had to trust and have faith that when you slit that animal's throat and that blood poured out, the penalty of your sin was going to fall another on another so that God can be merciful to you. It's the same now with the cross. If you want to have peace with God and experience forgiveness of sin in a new life, all that is offered in the good news of Jesus Christ, you have to lean like they did on that creature in front of them. You have to lean on Jesus. That's what faith is. Trusting in another, in Jesus, that his blood is sufficient to cleanse you and forgive you from your sin and give you newness of life. It's going to give you a clean start. You have to lean on Jesus with your heart. You have to believe he is the only way to be reconciled to God. Have you done that yet? Have you done that today? But for the rest of us, you have tasted the sweetness of the gospel and have linked on Jesus before. Man, to remember the cross is to be fueled with thanksgiving, not so. How can we not look at the cross and think about the love of God for us in sending his son Jesus and getting all the timing perfect and going through all the effort and planning and execution and extravagance of generosity in giving us his only son to stand in the gap for what we deserved. Oh man, there's just no ways that we can be neutral to God when we ponder the cross and we realize the magnitude of God's goodness and grace to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. It is just wonderful. And if you may be feeling a little bit stale on the worship side, the best thing you can do is take time out and just ruminate and marinate in the cross and to see what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. But furthermore, uh, is the cross trains us not to be afraid of death. And you might be asking, geez, Matt, when are you going to bring in the coronavirus? I'm going to bring it in now. Man, we've got death coming on every side. Not so. We've got death getting closer and closer. And I want to say to you, my brother and sister in Christ, you have got nothing to fear. Through the cross, you have already passed from death to life. In actual fact, you're just waiting for a new body to catch up with what has already happened to you by the Spirit. You have received resurrection life already. And you're just waiting for that day when you're going to be ushered into the fullness of glory. And whether that is by the coronavirus or whether that is by reaching a ripe old age, I want to say to you as a Christian, you've got nothing to fear in death. Death is just a passage to glory. It's not the end. And then I also want to remind you by remembering the cross today, we remind ourselves that the only way to be peace with God to be at peace with God is through the blood. And it is the only way. Forever that is the case. And you know, as Christians, sometimes we really make dumb decisions, right? I mean, I've been there. We, we make foolishness and sometimes we fall into bad sin. And the difficulty of that place is you're never quite sure if God's really forgiven you. Your conscience is never quite clean. And for someone here, maybe you're watching and, and, and you just popped in because you're going, well, maybe I can, I can watch online because I don't have to be seen at church, you know. It's a safe place for me to kind of hear a bit of, of a preach and a message. And maybe you've never been a part of church for a long time because you feel ashamed. And you, you've tasted of the gospel. You know Jesus. But you're going, you know what? I just don't know if I can come back into close fellowship with God. I, I think I've blown it. And, and, you know, this guy on the screen is talking about having this hope of a future and a hope of joy. And I don't think I'm going to qualify for that one day. I want to answer you with the cross, my friend. 
if the blood of Jesus is able to deliver you from a kingdom of darkness whilst you are still hostile and in bondage and separated from God, if it has the power then to deliver you and bring you Christ to the Father, how much more when you're in his kingdom, when you're in his household, and when you're a child of God, by the blood of Jesus, it never changes. We have confidence to approach God's throne of grace. And so your answer to your, your niggling conscience or the accuser Satan that wants to try and build a wedge of guilt between you and God is always the blood. You never trust in how well you've prayed or gone to church or given. It doesn't matter. That stuff will never reconcile you to God. It is your constant confidence in the blood of Jesus that keeps you close to the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Return to your original confidence in the blood of Jesus. And then lastly, my final point is this. Surely by remembering the cross, my fellow Christians, is we recognize something powerful that Paul did. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul recognized by seeing the cross was realizing it was the reminder that his old life under sin and bondage, his old way of thinking and pattern of living had died. That old Paul had died. And friends, if you are a Christian, the cross reminds you that old life under sin, you've died to it. The new has come and it's lived like it. Paul says we are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Our actions and our thoughts are to be worthy of what God has already done in us. And the glory of the gospel is to remind us of the eternal things that we are heading to, not looking back to the things that we've died to. And so, my friends, I want to spur you on today in the gospel through the cross of Jesus Christ to be reminded to give yourself to what is eternal and to who you are in Jesus, to give yourself to a manner of life that glorifies the Son of God, that proclaims your position in him and what you've, been, what you've received through him. This is a mighty thing, this cross of Jesus Christ. And as we remember it this year, I pray that we'd be soaked and marinated with a fresh sense of joy and peace and wonder to be called God's own. Let's pray. Father, today we want to praise you and thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you for this great work of reconciliation that you did through the cross, that we can have peace with God, that no sin is greater than the blood of Jesus, that sin with a capital S was paid for by the blood of Jesus, and that we have every confidence through the blood to approach your throne of grace. And so, Lord, I want to make available anybody that's watching and needs to respond to this message of the cross. And maybe it's your first time today and you have yet to move from knowing about the cross of Jesus to depending upon the cross of Jesus as the means of forgiveness. I want to invite you to do so now. Would you just pray with me? Would you say, Jesus, I need you. I need your blood to forgive my sin, to wash me clean, to give me a new life to make me right with the Father. Jesus, I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. I want to live for you. He said that to me. And then, Lord, for us who have tasted of the gospel, oh, Lord, and again and again, I pray it might grow sweeter and sweeter to us as the day of your coming approaches, as we recognize what we have been bought and set apart for by the blood of Jesus to be cleansed and to stand spotless and pure before the God of heaven and earth. What a joy, what a blessing, what a privilege in these days. We pray that the gospel will grow in us, Lord, 
that our manner of life would be worthy of the gospel we've received, that it would communicate great joy and thanksgiving and faith in the one that has rescued us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. How exciting it is that we still get together as a church in this season. This Good Friday, we celebrate the death of Jesus, the death that brings you and I a new life. Because of his death, we know that our sins are paid and we can enter back into a right relationship with God. This is what we celebrate. This morning, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 26, a well-known passage. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Churches are entering into a time of communion. It's a time for us to worship. But it's also a time for us to remember. How quickly do we forget? But this verse helps us to remember the value of Christ and his death on the cross. For both the bread and the cup, we are instructed to do this in remembrance of Jesus. This is the reason why we take a moment, a moment where we pause and we remember what Christ has done. This is a moment for the believer. You get to remember what Christ has done for you on the cross. The challenge this Easter is, is will you remember? Therefore, I invite you to take a moment to remember all that Christ has done for you. Today we're going to remember the cross, the, the death of Jesus. So won't you take your bread, the body of Christ that was given for you, eat now in remembrance of Jesus. In the same way Jesus took the cup, the blood that washes us whiter than snow, Drink now in remembrance of Jesus and his death on the cross. Yes, Lord, we just thank you for thank you for the cross. Thank you that, that it's the only thing that can wash our sins away. Lord, thank you that because of your death we can have this new life that, that we don't have to pay the punishment for our sin, but you bore it all on the cross for. So Lord, I just pray now that, that you will help us to remember, help us not to forget the price that you paid on the cross. Lord, and help us to grow in our knowledge of that. 
and faithfulness in your name. Amen. Well, church, that's all. We'll see you on Sunday at 9 o'clock where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus.